0: Welcome to Village Church. I'm so glad that you're here. I know uh, I never know what to expect Super Bowl Sunday, if people are going like, to be gone or not, so I'm just grateful that you're all here. Really grateful that you're here with me today. Love you guys. Love my church family. Um, we're going to continue in our By Faith series. This is the sixth week already that we've been doing this series, and we're going to be um, talking about uh, Sarah in scripture, in, uh, in Genesis. So Sarah was Abraham's wife. And so we're going to read two passages this morning. The first is going to be Hebrews chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. Um, if you want to follow along with us in your YouVersion app or your Bible, or it's also going to be up on the screen here. Okay? All right, let's read together. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. We're also going to be reading out of Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 15. I'll give you guys just a moment to to get there as well. Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 15. All right, let's read. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, where while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant, very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sayas of finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where's your wife, Sarah, they asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. <laughs> I love that little exchange because she's arguing with God. <laughs> like, I didn't laugh. What? I didn't laugh like Sarah. <laughs> like, <laughs> come on. Come on. Of course. I know, I know who you are. I know all things, you know. All right. So uh, from this, these two passages, what I want to talk about today is this principle that we are called to wait by faith. In our By Faith series today, we're talking about waiting, which is like yuck, right? That's not, it's not everybody's favorite topic to talk about. Waiting, patience, those things, right? Um, when I uh, was in Sacramento, I had a job. Um, and I worked for a kitchen and bath remodeling company. And one of my jobs while I was there is I my whole job was to pull permits. And so I would design permits. I would design the layout for kitchens and bathrooms, and then I would go and sit and wait at permit offices, which is literally the same setup as a DMV. So I was a professional like DMV sitter, waiting for the number. You'd wait hours sometimes to get your number called. Then I'd go get the plans, and then I'd have to schedule rough and final inspections. And I would have to go and stand to those inspections a lot of times so the installers could go on to another job. And so some days... It was great because like I would have stuff to do, you know, like I would you know, do make maybe uh, appliance installs or I would do like finish work or something like that. But there was plenty of times where there was literally everything was completely finished at the job. And so I had an eight hour window, that's what they gave you every time, an eight hour window of just sitting in my truck in front of a homeowner's house, just like, okay. You couldn't call anybody if I had to go somewhere. You just had to hope like, if I went to lunch, that they weren't going to show up on your lunch hour, you know. And there was many times where uh, eight hours goes by and they just didn't show up at all. And so, like, you had to call and reschedule it the next day because they just didn't get to you that day. And so, like, you know, this is California government at work, you know. So it wasn't it wasn't the greatest well-oiled machine at the time, like. Um, but anyway. Um, that job taught me a lot of patience. And I'm, I'm not one to say that I'm, like, the most patient person in the world, you know. But, like, I guarantee I'm a lot more patient today than I was then, you know, because I think God was teaching me something in the waiting, right? God works on us in the waiting. And so we have to learn to value waiting. We learn to value waiting on God because there's this in, inescapable truth that uh, we who live by faith must also learn to wait by faith. It's just reality, guys. If we're going to say that we are those who follow God and we follow his decrees and his promises and we cling to him by faith, then that means that we are going to have to wait by faith because God's promises come in his timing, not ours right? They come in his timing, not ours. So I just have this question this morning, how do we do this? You know, from this example of Abraham and Sarah, how do we wait by faith? Well, the first thing is we have to let God work. We let God work in the waiting. Sarah and Abraham were 65 and 75 years old when God first made a covenant with them. And Pastor Jane talked about this last week in Genesis 12, that initial covenant that, you know, I will make you, you're, you a great nation. I will give you a child, right? Like this incredible promise, all these I will statements that God gives him at the beginning of Genesis 12, right? So this is this, this first section of this three-part covenant that God is promising to Abraham here. And it's all going to come through his bloodline, his descendants, and so they were 65 and 75 years old when that was given to them. When that promise was given to them, they were that old already. And, and his covenant, again, there was three promises to it, right? And um, these three separate parts is, first was the promised land, which they reside on today, right? The Jews are in Israel, their own nation, took a long time. And there was a lot of question marks about whether that was going to happen at certain points in a very long history, right? But God's promises was fulfilled. Amen? That promise, that covenant promise was fulfilled. He, he promised um, descendants, right? That there would be, that Abraham would have this great amount of descendants. The Jewish people still exist today. Do you know how many ancient cultures still exist today? Not that many, it's a miracle in and of itself that the Jewish people are still around, especially after the history they've had. How many wars have been against them, genocide, the Holocaust, all that kind of stuff, right? Like, it's, it's a miracle in and of itself that Jewish people exist at all today. But that was a promise that God made to Abraham, right? That was a promise that they can stand on. Right, And then the third part of the covenant was that um, there would be the, this promise of blessing and redemption through Abraham's descendants. And who was that? Jesus. Blessing and redemption for all people would come through Abraham's descendants. All three of those promises were fulfilled. All three of those promises were fulfilled. And those promises changed everything for mankind. Absolutely everything for mankind. Do you get that? Do you see how important that is? This covenant that God is making with with Abraham changed everything for us. And we are here today because of that. So we are connected deeply to the covenant made to Abraham. We are connected deeply to these stories, to these broken people. Abraham and Sarah, we today are here because God promised them something. Do you feel that? It's not just a story that we're reading. It's not just a story that we teach our kids. Like, we are products of Sarah and Abraham. Every good in our life, in our lives, is a product of that. Um, and and again, like these are two broken people plagued by what we call fear and control here at Village Church, right? All over the place. Fear and control, right? And so God needed them to trust him and surrender everything. To him, right? To see these promises fulfilled through these broken people, he needed them to trust him and surrender all things to him. They needed to shift from fear and control to trust and surrender. From fear and control to trust and surrender, right? So God had work to do in them. So while they waited, he set to work Right? We see uh, in, in Abraham's story in Genesis, right? uh, Abraham lied about Sarah being his wife. He, called, he said he was, she was his uh, sister. And Pharaoh was like, oh, she's a good-looking woman. Maybe I'll take her as a, as a wife. And then all of a sudden, all these diseases come on Egypt. And Pharaoh's like, what's going on? And Abraham's like, well, sorry, I lied. She's actually my wife. And, and Pharaoh's like, what are you doing to me? Why would you do this? Right? Not the best way to start out trying to form a great nation out of nothing, right? To call diseases down upon the greatest, like the largest nation in the day, right? Egypt, like not the best strategy to start out with, right? To get them mad at you, right? And so fear and control, this is Abraham trying fear and control, scared of what's going to happen. And all the while, you know, uh, well, so then right after that, right, he goes to war, He goes to war and he defeats these warlords, right? And then Abraham and Sarah take matters into their own hands. After they waited, they felt like they had waited long enough for God to uh, fulfill his promise to them. And what happens? Abraham sleeps with Sarah's servant, Hagar, and then we have Ishmael. They tried to take things into their own hands. They tried to control the promise. They tried to control things again. So we see this pattern in them again. Fear and control all over the place. You know, Abraham started out as a nobody in Scripture. He just kind of comes on the scene, you know, like, but he didn't have a name. He, and he was just trying to eke out this significance on his own power. But God showed Abraham that that only God, only he could make Abraham's name mean anything. He was teaching him that true and lasting significance only comes from God. When God meets Abraham, the covenant promise in that moment is, I will make you a great nation. I will. I am the one who will bring fame to your name. I am the one who will bring blessing to you, me. He's teaching him right in that moment, stop trying to do it on your own. Stop, stop trying to find worldly significance on your own power. It only comes from me. It only comes from me. Then, right after this, right we talked about Abraham fights and he defeats some warlords. And What do you think that would do to a person after, uh, out of nowhere, you enter a war? It's going to put, it's going to give you enemies. So all of a sudden, Abraham now has enemies that he didn't have before either. And so what do you think that would do to a person? Typically, right? Fear and control is going to crop up pretty quick if you feel like you got a target on your back. Going to do everything you can run, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hide, I'm going to do whatever, right? But, but God immediately shows up in Genesis 15, and he starts that chapter by saying, don't be afraid, I am your shield. I am your great reward. Don't be afraid, Abraham. Even though, yes, you have made some enemies, you don't need to be afraid. I, the Lord God, I am your shield, you're not responsible for that. I don't need you to try to protect yourself. I am your shield. I am your great reward. And why does he say he's his great reward? Abraham didn't get any spoils from that war. He didn't get any treasures. He didn't get anything out of it. He refused it. And so God is telling him, too, in the same breath, like, I am your safety. I am your satisfaction. I give you significance, I give you safety, I give you satisfaction. We've talked about those three words many times here, and those are the three things that Jesus himself had to put away, had to make sure was was rid out of him in the wilderness. He was tempted by significance, safety, and satisfaction in life, worldly versions of it. And in 40 days, he rid himself of that. And after that 40 days, he stepped into the call and the promise and the purpose that was on his life. But only after that, only after he rid himself of those things, took 40 days for Jesus. That's Jesus, right? I think it took a lot longer, obviously, for Abraham and Sarah, and it often takes a lot longer for us. Amen? Amen. I'm still working on it. I'm still working on it. God's rid me of a lot of those things the hard way, you know? He's rid me of a lot of those things of significance. That was a real poison thing for a while, like trying to earn some significance in this life and thinking that I had to find a platform, you know? Like, man, I had to get rid of that, you know? God did a good job of that for me. And, and uh, safety, satisfaction, worldly satisfaction, all those things. You know, it still creeps up in me sometimes, those temptations. Keeping up with the Joneses, wondering if this is the best decision I've made for my family. Is, is being a pastor the best choice that I should have made for my kids? That's safety. That's me concerned about safety, right? It still creeps up. Those temptations are still there at times. God's done a great work in me about it. But it's required work. It's required work. Work in the waiting. Work in sometimes long seasons of waiting for what's coming next. But it's God looking at me saying, Cody, there's more to be done, buddy. And he always says it with, I love you. I got more for you. I will be your shield. Right, I will be your great reward. Mm -hmm. I will make your name great to who I say it needs to be great to. Mm -hmm. God will fulfill those things, and he is fulfilling those things. But it's his version of it, not mine. And that's where the surrender comes in. Amen? It's his version of these things, not mine. Safety, significance, satisfaction. If you're in a season of waiting, church... If you're personally in a season of waiting right now, start with those things. I can say with total confidence that that's a great place to start for you. If you know that God has you in a season of waiting and you know that there's work to be done, but you're not sure where to start, safety, significance, satisfaction. Are you trying to gain those things on your own power, right? So I'm going to ask these questions. Are you looking to yourself or God to provide you and your family safety? I'm asking that, and I need you to answer it to yourself. Are you today looking to yourself or are you looking to Almighty God to provide for you and your family safety? Which one? You can only pick one. You can only pick one. Next, same question, different different ending. Are you looking to yourself or God to provide for you and your family significance? Are you looking to yourself or are you looking to God to provide significance for you in this life? Purpose in this life. Again, you can only pick one, guys. And lastly, are you looking to yourself or to God to provide you and your family Satisfaction. Man, this world makes that a challenge. Makes it a challenge. Keeping up with the Joneses and all that nonsense. Are you looking to provide satisfaction? Worldly version of satisfaction to yourself, right? Or are you willing to trade that for God's version of satisfaction in this life? I heard something recently, especially when it comes to satisfaction. I heard somebody talk about the difference between pleasure and joy. And that joy in, our, in a timeline is like a quick and very short spike. It, it spikes very high, but maybe that spike is for five seconds or for five minutes. But joy might not feel as high of a spike, but joy lasts so, so, so much longer. The world tends to offer pleasure. The enemy tries to get us fixed on pleasure. But God offers us joy. Joy everlasting. we got to make the choice. Same thing with significance, safety. Oftentimes those things, our version of it is just a quick spike in our timeline. But God's version might not feel... (laughs) might not feel as high, and it might not feel as grand at times, but it lasts. It lasts our lifetime. His version versus our version. That's what we have to come to today. So I asked this question, right? And maybe this is a gold ping pong ball for you. Maybe each of these is a gold ping pong ball for you today, for later. But are you willing today to surrender your version of safety, significance, and satisfaction And are you willing to put a gold ball maybe today in that jar and say, by faith, God, I'm looking to you to provide me with these things, your version of these things. I'm going to stop trying to do it on my own. You with me, church? Yes. You with me? Yes. Okay. All right. Next point. We remember who made the promise. We remember who made the promise. Genesis 18, starting at verse 13, it says, Then the Lord said to Abraham, (laughs) Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? He's asking this, right? Is anything too hard for the Lord? He said, I'm going to return to you next time, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah will have a son, because nothing is too hard for me. Why would you laugh at me? This This is the Lord. This is a crazy story in Scripture. This is the Lord talking here. These three figures appear suddenly. Abraham invites them in. And one of them is God. I don't have explanation for how that works. Right? But he can do anything, right? And so God appears and he's talking. He's talking to them. He's having this conversation. And then we see the absurdity again of, of Sarah's rebuttal. Right? But again, is anything too hard for the Lord? Sarah will have a son. And then in Hebrews 11, we see the same thing. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, that's an understatement, right? Was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. Sarah laughed because she forgot who was making the promise to her, didn't she? Sarah laughed because she forgot who was making promise. The promise, And she even, again, she argues with God. And this was Yahweh speaking. The creator. The alpha, the omega, right? <laughs> Yahweh. This is him speaking. What is one pregnancy to him? No matter what the conditions. What is one pregnancy for him? Even, even if it seems impossible on paper. Even if the worldly version, everybody would say that, no way, what are you doing? That's insane that you would even think that, right? Why would you even try? Why would you even keep trying? Clearly, clearly, that's not been the case. Maybe you missed something. You must have missed something at some point in your life, and I guess it's passed over you. You lost out. Sorry, bummer. You know that people would be saying that. You know that those are the thoughts that would be in your head, too. We all do it. It's hard not to. But she forgot in that moment again who made the promise. We too easily forget sometimes who our Father in heaven is. We sang that song this morning, There's Nothing That Our God Can't Do. Do you believe that, church? Oh, yes. Do you believe that, church? Yes. Do you believe that there's nothing that our God can't do? Nothing. Do you believe that? Yes. Then why don't we live like that? Hear me? I know we come here on a Sunday and like I am so like I love hearing you guys sing. And I'm singing the same thing. I'm with you, right? I'm in this crowd with you right now. Okay? And we sing at the top of our lungs. There is nothing that our God can't do. Our God is greater. He is stronger. He is bigger than anything, right? I'm going to see a victory, right? There's nothing out there. I'm not scared. I know what the enemy's trying to do. Like, forget him. God is bigger and greater than anything. He can make anything happen. I believe that. I sing that. I'm singing it at the top of my lungs. I'm hooting and hollering. I'm clapping my hands. And I'm worshiping God, this God that can do all things, the creator of the universe and galaxies and things we will never understand. He created those things. But then we leave this place. And do we remember that? Do we live that out every single moment of every day? Amen if you do. But sometimes we forget. Sometimes that slips our mind, doesn't it? It slips my mind. There's moments. Fear creeps up. And the world looks at things and it says, "I don't know about that." And we go, "Well, maybe you're right. Maybe I missed something. Maybe I missed something." Why do we forget? Why do we forget so easily? Um, when we first moved out here, um, Matt and uh, and a pastor friend of i of ours, we went out um, uh, coyote hunting. And, um, you know, hunting out here is a very different experience from North Dakota hunting, where it's just a lot of nothing, or there's snow, so it's like, oh, an animal's been here. I'm just going to follow this track, and I'm going to go shoot that animal, right? But out here, it's, it's not fun, guys. I'm sorry. It's just, it's not fun for me. Like, I went out, I tried it, and I'm like, I don't need to do that again. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I think it's great, those of you who have that passion out here, but it is just a different thing, you know? So we went out, and um, we're driving around, and we take a, you know, none of us are from here, you know, so we're just kind of tooling around in the desert, following some trails, and we get to this moment where there's this crossroads. And it's like, well, um, we can either try to back out of where we are because it was so narrow, or we can maybe go this way. And like, maybe that leads back to Sasco. It's pointing in that direction. There's a good chance it probably will, right? Two hours later on that road, um, we're like, our, our friend's uh, truck is so scratched. And just the entire time we're going, all we hear is, like just like nails on a chalkboard just constantly. And what's horrible is while we were like driving in the morning, he's like, yeah, I just got this truck. It was such a blessing from God and it's so beautiful. Three hours later and it's absolutely just like, just destroyed. but um, so we're, we're driving and it's at, it's at the point of no return at this point. It's like we're just we have to keep going. We're not going to go two hours back in the other direction and scrape it up more. We just have to keep hoping that something's going to happen. But it's like the more overgrown it is, the more it's like nobody's been on this road for a real long time. and there's probably a reason for that. Right? So we're continuing to go and all of a sudden we, we cross this like this uh, a little bit of the road where it had been washed out. And so we, like, get out, and we find some logs and stuff, and we throw it in there, and we, like, get across, and we barely make it across, right? And then, like, 100 yards down the road, it dead ends. The road dead ends. And so we're like, okay, well, uh, I guess let's turn around. Uh, we have gas. Hopefully, we'll we'll make it back in time, uh, you know, with, with enough gas and everything. And, um, you know, I'm... I'm out of water by this point. Like we weren't expecting to be that long, you know. Like I had like salted peanuts and no water, and I'm like, "Well, that was the worst planning ever," you know, for the Arizona desert, salty snacks and like a one bottle of water, you know. So it wasn't super hot; it was like 85 degrees, but hot enough. We turn around, we go back, and we see the same wash, you know. And so like we get out, and like, okay, looks like we can try to make it. We go across it, and he gets high-centered. And we're in a two, two-wheel two drive truck, and that was it. I mean, and it was on a rock. He was high-centered on a rock. Like, we had a shovel, we had sticks and stuff, and we tried for a long time to dig out, and nothing was happening. And so we were just like, okay. And what's, what's crazy, too, is that weekend, um, the sheriff at the time, I think it was Sheriff Lambs at the time or, or something, but they made an announcement that, hey, if you go hunting, just be aware that the cartels are traveling with sicarios oh. and just be aware, you know, like he didn't say don't do it, but like, and I was like, oh, we're not going super far out there, you know, it's not like we're in the middle of nowhere, you know, <laughs> so it's fine, you know, like thankfully we were armed, but it's like, you know, that, all these things going through my mind, like this was all the worst decision I've ever made in my life, you know. <laughs> And so, like, uh, we're there, and we're trying to figure out, like, what are we going to do? The no cell service, like, couldn't get anything. And, you know, we knew we weren't super far, and so we were, there was discussion, like, should one of us go? But then it's like, what's hap- what hap- what, what if, if something happens to you, then, like, we're never going to find you in the middle out here. So we need to stick together. We need to stick with the vehicle. That's what everybody says, you know, stay with the vehicle. And so um, I walk around, and finally I get, like, you know, the, like one bar of, like, nothing signal, right? And, and um, I call, call my wife, like, tell her what's up. And, um, and then uh, we call a friend of ours um, who was a Border Patrol agent. And um, so he, like, and his, his area was out where we were. And so we finally get a hold of him. And it, um, it took a while to even come up with that plan. Which is not something I'm proud of, but it's a reality. It took a while to come up with, like, maybe we should call somebody that knows what they're doing. Yeah? Like, maybe. And so, give him a call, finally get a hold of him. And he's like, what do you see? And I'm like, desert. <laughs> I'm like, well, no, no, like, look around. I'm like, there's a big hill over there. He's like, well, what does it look like? Yeah, hilly. There's. Some, there's some brush on it. I don't know. Like, it's like okay. Well, like anything distinguishable. And he's like, well, there's a bigger hill with that's kind of like crazy looking on the top, like you know, jaggedy. And he's like, okay, okay. Well, look, look the other side of you. What do you see? And I was like trying to describe. And he's like, oh yeah, I know exactly where you are. And I was like, what? And like 30 minutes later, he just pulls around the corner. And we're right there, like, didn't give him a tracking, didn't give him, like, a signal, didn't give him anything. Just, like, from where I was standing, again, I know nothing about anything out here. And I'm like, I, I see this, you know, raggedy kind of looking mountain over there, you know? And he, like, instantly knew not just, like, like kind of where we were. Like, he found us in 30 minutes. When, we, when I relied on my own power, what was that going to get me? Dead is what it was going to get me, guys. It was going to get me dead in the middle of the desert, right? Like, that is what was going to happen. But, you know, like, just because I don't know what to do doesn't mean that somebody doesn't know what to do. Just because I get myself into situations sometimes where I'm like, "I, I can't control my way out of this. I'm afraid. I don't know what to do but man, I do not have what it takes to figure this part out. I have a choice to remember that there's somebody who can. There's somebody who wants to. There's somebody who has promised me already that he will get me out of it. Whatever I find myself in, he has already made the promise to me to get me out of it. Church, whatever you have found yourself in today, he has already made you the promise that he can get you out of it, but you got to call him. you got to call him. you got to remember who he is. you got to remember what he's capable of. There's nothing too hard for him. There's no situation that you are too stuck in or too broken over. There's nothing that he can't get you out of him. We have direct access to the creator of the universe, guys. And he has promised us incredible things. Stop hesitating. Church, stop thinking that you're going to bother God with your problems. I know some of you do that. I've talked to you about it. I've heard you say it. Stop. Do you know that it gives him joy? It gives him joy to run to you. It gives him joy when you call on his name. Because it's nothing for him. It's not like man, I was going to relax today. <laughs> I was going to look at the universe that I created. Man, I was going to watch the game today, but here's, i got to go deal with this person. No, that is, he loves us. Would you deny your own child? Would you deny your children help, right? When my, when my daughter falls and skins her knee and she says, Daddy, do you think I go, sorry, 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 I got, I got this I'm doing. I'm watching the show right now. Do you think, no, I run, and it gives me joy to hold her. It gives me joy to comfort her. It gives me joy to help her in that moment. God is no different. God is no different. Jesus died for the privilege to save you, people. He died for the privilege to save us. Why do we hesitate? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. I will. I want to. I desire it. It gives me joy to do that for you. That is the God we serve. And that's what he's asking of us. Church, do you hear me? Do you hear me? Yeah. Lastly, I'm going to get through this, guys. I promise. <laughs> Lastly, we get, we wait until the promise is fulfilled. Again, last week, Pastor Jane shared God's first covenant with Abraham, right? The first part of that covenant found in Genesis 12, and this is again the covenant where God promises that He would uh, make a great nation out of Abraham, right? Isaac was born 25 years later, 25 years later. They had no children until Sarah was 90 and Abraham was 100. It was improbable, right, by world standards at 65 and 75 when the promise was made. But 25 years later, here they are, 90 and 100, and Sarah has a baby. We wait on God until the promise is fulfilled. We wait by faith until the promise is fulfilled. Um, I'll share this quick. Um, no, I'm going to skip it. Okay. Um, Village Church, I want you to know that um, Village Church is a product of somebody waiting until a promise was fulfilled. And uh, I don't know all the people, I'm sure there's others, but there's one person in particular, his name was Dr. John A. Dunn. And uh, John Dunn was a church planter out here. His son, um, Jim, is uh, the president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University, a Wesleyan college, and his other son, Rick uh, is um, he oversees like the Wesleyan Investment Foundation. So, like, these are prominent figures in the Wesleyan denomination, which is our denomination. And so, John Dunn had uh, a great impact on our denomination and the kingdom. And the kingdom, he planted several churches up north. But I want to tell you that when we first moved out here, um, um, Jim Dunn, his son, uh, had a meeting with us. He took us out to lunch and he said, Hey, I want to give you a grant um, for your church plant, and I'll give you $25,000 if you can match it, right? And so, like, which was an incredible thing that he would do. And he didn't tell us at the time, but later he told us the full story of why, because it was like, you don't really know us, and we're literally parachute planting in the middle of nowhere, which on paper, on paper, like, everybody said, you should never do that, because it's going to fail. You know, like, everybody told us, what you're doing is not smart. It's not going to work. You know, every book we read, every conference we went to, right? But, like, and so it was very odd that somebody suddenly, you know, that we didn't know anyway, like, was, like, supporting us in that way. And so later he said that, um, he told us, this was probably years later, actually, is he said, you know, my dad always had a dream of a church being planted by Picacho Peak. He would drive by I-10 and he would pray. He would pray that God would start a church there. And he always wanted to see it happen. He said he desired to maybe make it happen one day, but like he had a lot of other things going on, but that was always something he prayed over, right? Well, Dr. Dunn, he, uh, after, uh, four years after Village Church was planted, he passed away at 85. When he was praying, he was a lot younger than that. But God fulfilled a promise to him. We are the product of a promise, guys. We are the product of a promise. There's legacy there, you know. None of you knew who that was before I talked about it today. Like, right? None of you knew that story before today, you know. And I only learned about it not that long ago, to be honest. But who else was praying? Who else was praying? Who else saw vision over this area long before, long before it was ever on my radar? We're a product of a promise, guys. That the kingdom would expand, that it would go to the ends of the earth, that the gospel would be carried to those who need it. It's a promise. We're the product of that. It's a powerful thing, isn't it? It's a powerful thing. Thank God for people that waited and watched. John Dunn, Dr. Dunn, he waited and he watched until there was an opportunity. And Jim followed through on what John had always dreamed about. And they made this they they were a part of making this happen for us for sure. And so we can all be grateful, right, that we are the product of God's promise. So I just want to ask, are you willing to wait? for the promise that God's given you? Are you willing to wait on it? Are you willing to receive God's promise his way and not your own? Are you willing to allow others to be potentially blessed by that promise more than you? You know, Dr. Dunn, he, he never got to see this in person. He never got to come to this church and check it out and everything, right? But he heard, by the time he passed away, he had heard about the multiple hundred salvations and baptisms that had happened in Red Rock. So he'd heard those reports, right? He didn't get to see it firsthand. But he'd heard and he knew what God was doing. And I know that God did that for him. That's how God's timing works, right? Today, if you don't know... What's been promised to you? Maybe we've been talking a lot about this by faith series and like we're talking about God's promises and maybe today you're like, I don't know what God's promised me. I don't feel like I've had like these crazy revelations. God hasn't showed up, you know, as a man talking to me about promises in my life and what he's going to do. But I want you to know that you have, there is a promise that has been made to everybody through Jesus. A great, incredible, miraculous Powerful promise that has been made to every single person because of Jesus. Jesus' name in Hebrew is Yeshua. Yeshua in Hebrew means Yahweh is salvation, redemption, deliverance. Each and every one of us has been promised salvation if we'll accept it have been promised redemption, if we'll accept it. And we have been promised deliverance. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, then you are given access to these miraculous promises. What seems hopelessly lost in this world can be saved. What seems hopelessly lost in your life can be saved. That's Jesus. What seems impossibly broken in your life can be restored and redeemed, church. That's Jesus. That's who he is. That's what he does. What seems left to rot behind prison bars in your life, the things that we forget and we close off and say, I'm never going to return to that. It's not possible for me to work through that. It's too much. Those can be delivered prison walls can be broken down. That's what Jesus does. It's the promise that he's given each of us if we'll just accept it. If we'll just accept it. By faith in Jesus, each of these aren't just possible. They're promised, guys. They are promised to us. That's what's available to you today. And I want to give you an opportunity. Maybe today you're here and you've never You've never accepted those things in your life. You've never considered it to be possible. Maybe you've never said a prayer of surrender in any way, shape, or form to Jesus. But if today you find yourself understanding that I need those promises in my life, I want to take hold of the power of those promises in my life of salvation, of redemption, of deliverance, of all the things in my life that I thought never could be. If today you find yourself in that place, I want to give you the opportunity to take advantage of the promise to hold on to the promise by faith, to cling to it with everything you have, to let go of yourself and to surrender to this Jesus who promises these things to you. So would you bow your heads with me? And let's pray. Jesus, we're just so grateful for your promises. We're so grateful for what you've done to make those promises possible in our lives. God, how you have orchestrated things for thousands of years to bring us to a point in history where we have access to these promises. God, we look to you and we're so grateful for that. But Jesus, I know that you have been calling some here today towards accepting and receiving those promises for the first time in their lives your promises of salvation, freedom from sin and brokenness, of redeeming what feels like it never could be redeemed, setting free what we thought would always have to be kept in the dark. If you're here today and you know that Jesus is calling you, towards surrender in those areas. He's asking you to surrender to those promises, to accept those promises of salvation, redemption, and deliverance. And maybe you've never said that prayer today, ever before. Would you raise your hand? And would you accept him in your life today? Maybe today you've forgotten. Maybe you've, it's been a while. Maybe you've strayed. Maybe you've taken back control of your own life. But you know that today is a day that God is asking you to come back to him and he's drawing you to him. He's got that big smile on his face saying, come child, come child. If you know that today he's calling you back and you wanna accept that call back right now. And if you wanna run to him and into his embrace, into those promises of salvation, redemption and deliverance once more, would you raise your hand? Amen. God sees you. He knows your heart. Father, we are so grateful again for the opportunity upon opportunity upon opportunity that you give us to find you and to find you again and again.